Alrighty, I, if I had my wish, I would wish that no one was here for the first time tonight. Uh, we've said so many things in our study of Islam that uh, you really need to kind of have it all in context, and just hearing the last piece uh, could give the wrong impression, perhaps. Uh, so I'm going to repeat just a little bit in case there is somebody here that hasn't been here for all the previous three lessons on the religion of Islam. Uh, let me make sure of our purpose again. This is not a scholarly treatise on Islam. You're not going to learn everything possible because I don't know everything possible. I'm not an expert. I don't pretend to be. Uh, secondly, it's not a conversion guide. This is not something to prepare you to go talk to Muslims and say, all right, now I'm going to convert you to Christianity. Uh, what this is, is an attempt for us to understand the times, uh, particularly me, and I figure if I can grasp it, maybe it'll help you too, but that's what we're working on, is that's what the whole theme of all year has been, understanding the times. Uh, and we read things, like today's paper had this story about the, uh, the Taliban in Pakistan, uh, said they were formed in 2007. Uh, the Taliban in Pakistan is an amalgam of factions united by the goal of toppling the government and imposing Sharia or Islamic law. The Pakistani Taliban maintains links with Al-Qaeda, the Afghan Taliban, and other Pakistani militant groups uh, in the country's tribal belt. Authorities in uh, Islamabad have accused the Pakistani Taliban of engineering some of the country's worst terrorist strikes, including the assassination of former Prime Minister Buto uh, in 2007. The group also claimed responsibility for the October attempt to kill uh, Malaya Yousafi, a 15-year-old Pakistani girl who had defied the Taliban's attempts to deny girls an education. Uh, we hear those things in the news. We read that kind of uh, things today. And we know that the people doing that, assassinating, trying to take over the government, uh, trying to kill 15-year-old girls who think they demand, deserve an education, they do those things and claim they do it because of their religion. We're told that that religion is one of the world's great religions. We're told that it's a peaceful religion. But we read things like this and we, we can't compute that. We don't understand. And that's why I'm doing this series is to try to understand the things that we see in these times. I said last week that we need to understand, just as there are many kinds of Christians... Uh, from a very uh, nominal Christian, one that really doesn't understand the Bible or know much about it, uh, but is trying to be a good moral person, claims to believe in Jesus, goes to church on Christmas and Easter, uh, that kind of thing. They call themselves a Christian. And at another extreme, we know there are people who take uh, basic Christianity, perhaps, and turn it into... Uh, some kind of a cult that is destructive, uh, Jim Jones or David Koresh and people like that. And we say, okay, there's all kinds of people that claim to be Christians, so how do you judge the religion from people like that? Just like that's true in Christianity, it's true in the Muslim world. 
I'm sure there's all kinds of Muslims. Some who understand very little about the Koran, but try to live a good moral life and follow the teachings they've been told. And at the other end, there are lots of radicals and extremists. Uh, we're told there are good Muslims and radical Muslims. Uh, we're told there are a whole lot more good Muslims than radical Muslims, that the radical Muslims have hijacked a great religion. Uh, so that's what we hear in the news. But if that's all you know, if that's all you hear, you don't understand still. It just doesn't <laughs> go together, these things that we hear. Um, so that's what we're trying to do in this. We worked the first week on the origin and the history of the religion of Islam. Then we talked about some differences between Muslims and Christians. And last week we started talking about the problem with Islam. And that admits my conclusion uh, after all my study is that there is a problem with Islam. Uh, and I started with that last week, and I, I believe that we have 1,400 years of history of war and terrorism and strife and, and problems in this world that come from people of that religion. So I think there is a problem with Islam. And last week we went through a number of things. I said, first of all, there's a problem with the founder. It was founded by a mortal human, not a good mortal human, an immoral mortal human. There's a problem with the book, the holy book, the Koran, is, gives very unclear messages since it was written by a man over a period of 20 years. It's got a lot of unclear messages in it, things that don't focus in on one great truth like we believe the Bible does. Now, there are differing messages. Some messages say be good to the Jews. Some people say to, to kill them all. Uh, there's a lot of differing, unclear messages in the book. Uh, it contains a lot of teachings that maybe were fitting for the times in 600 A.D. in a primitive tribal society, but there's no timeless universal principles in it. There are no golden rules in the Koran. The basic tenets of Islam are a problem. The basic tenet, the basic tenet, is world domination. Uh, everybody should submit to Allah. Everybody should follow the religion that Muhammad came up with in the 600s. And that's to be accomplished however necessary. By conversion will be fine, but by force, by the sword, if that's necessary. Uh, that's a basic tenet that you read in the Quran. Uh, another basic tenet is the intolerance of infidels. The Quran teaches that believers should have nothing to do with, should be intolerant, and the next point, can deal differently with non-believers. Don't have to tell them the truth. Don't have to honor your treaties with them. Uh, it's all fair when you're dealing with non-believers. And the last point we made last week was that it's not just a religion. It is religion and politics and a legal system and uh, the whole thing all wrapped up into one, all combined. 
So it clashes with, like that news article I read, it clashes with a secular government of Pakistan. It, it doesn't work together. Uh, that's where we got to last week. The next point under problems is the followers. So let's start there and finish up quickly here. Uh, there's a problem with the followers of Islam. And one of the problems is that there are a multitude of divisions, a multitude of sects, and they're antagonistic to each other. Now that may sound like, how can a Church of Christ preacher say that's a problem? <laughs> because we've got a, a multitude of sects that are a little antagonistic, but it's a whole different concept. Uh, all religions have that. All religions have different groups that teach something a little bit differently. But it's different in Islam. There is one main division, uh, and I, this is all kind of interesting, but I sure didn't have time to go into it in detail, or I don't have the capacity to even understand it in detail, I don't think. It gets so confusing, but uh, what I've figured out from my study is there are two big divisions uh, within Islam, the Sunnis and the Shias. You've heard that in the news and back when we were occupying Iraq and trying to get Hussein out of there. Uh, it was all about the Sunnis and the Shias. Who's against who and why and all that. Uh, the basic division, as I understand it, is over who ought to be a successor to Muhammad. And the Sunnis, they're about 80% of Muslims are Sunnis and about 20% of Shias. And they disagree over how the successor should be chosen. Uh, Muhammad didn't set up any succession plan in his great religion. Uh, so they've argued about it since. Uh, the Sunnis think you can democratically elect who replaces Muhammad. Who's the leader, the, the successor, or caliph is a, a word for that. Uh, just means successor. And the Shias believe it ought to be a blood descendant of Muhammad. It ought to come through his family somehow. I'm not sure how you calculate that 1,400 years later, but that's what they think it ought to be anyway. So that's the big division. Uh, the Shias, that means the people of the house. It ought to come from the house of Muhammad. It's where the successors ought to come from. Uh, and then within those two big divisions, there's all kinds of different sects break off from those. And I just picked a couple that you've heard of in the news probably. Uh, the Salafis, the first time I heard that was in the uh, uh, Libyan uh, Benghazi thing. Uh, I heard commentators talking about the Salafis were responsible for that. Uh, they are a sect of the Shias, and they're, they're very puritanical, they're very legalistic, uh, mainly in Saudi Arabia. And then within the Salafis, there's an even farther right-wing group, the Wahhabi sect. And you've heard of the Wahhabis in uh, the news. Uh, that sect is the far right part of the Salafis. And all of these groups have differing ideas of how Islam ought to be spread and how much how to interpret Sharia law and, and on and on. And they, they don't get along with each other. And it's, it's very, very confusing. Uh, a lot of the Shiites, I was reading about this, are, are called Twelvers. 
because they're looking for the 12th imam. They've got this theory. They're waiting for this 12th guy to come that's going to rule things. Uh, and a lot of these sects are pushing, or their ultimate dream is, uh, that we'll have one world caliphate. That the, the world will all be under one caliph again, somehow. Uh, there's no caliph right now. We don't have a caliphate anymore in Islam. In 1924, the president of the Turkish Republic uh, did away with it. There was one guy recognized then, but he did away with it uh, and changed the Constitution to a general assembly is responsible for everything and all that. And there hadn't been one since. A lot of these sects want one, and they want one to unite the whole Islamic world and take over the whole world. Uh, So all of those groups... Uh, when you put it together with all the other things we've learned about the teachings of Islam, make for a problem. When you have this many uh, disparate groups with so many different attitudes and plans and uh, all of that, it, it's a problem. Uh, second point under the followers is Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit. Uh, If you look at 1,400 years of history within Islam, you see a history of war and persecution and atrocities. And I know that's not politically correct to say. I know we're told that it's a great religion and it had a lot of great inventions and they invented algebra and and all kinds of things. But you look at 1,400 years of history and you see almost nothing but trouble. Wherever they go, there's trouble. Uh, of course, the early years they occupied by force and would spread all over uh, northern Africa and into Europe and over into Asia and all that. Uh, and then the Crusades kind of responded to that and pushed them back. And now they have spread differently, but there's still problems wherever they are. Uh, because, going back to earlier, what's in the book? The book says, persecute, kill, get rid of non-believers. Well, if that's what your book tells you to do, and you take that seriously wherever you go, that's what happens. And I'm not saying 100% of them do that, but it's in there, so that's what some of them do. Uh, That's a cornerstone of how they've spread. Uh, And it's not just back in Muhammad's day, it's today. Okay? The, the, the news story I read you, they want to take over Pakistan. They don't want the secular government of Pakistan running things. In the Sudan, the country is split. Uh, actually, it's a little more 50%, more than 50% Christian and less than that Muslim. But the Muslims persecute the Christians today. Uh, the one Christian hospital in the Sudan has been bombed seven times this year by the Muslims. In Khartoum, uh, they've killed two million Christians and animals. This is today. This is not ancient history. This is what's going on now in the name of Allah. Uh, we're in countries where the, the Islamic law dominates. 
then freedom of religion and all the things that we kind of take for granted around here go away. Uh, Saudi Arabia, one of our allies, uh, but you can't build a Christian church there. You can't build a Jewish synagogue. You can't build a Hindu temple. You can't build anything that's non-Muslim. Okay? No freedom is allowed there. Uh, even when there's not outright persecution or uh, terror activities or anything, there's harassment. It's the way the religion works because of what the book says. Okay? I hired a fellow one time from Pakistan. I asked him why he left Pakistan. He said, oh, we were Catholics. My parents were Catholics. And we finally had to leave. We had to go because of the harassment, the persecution. They, they didn't burn their house down or anything, but they just persecuted. They just harassed them until they had to get out. Okay. Ran into a nice lady on her vacation this fall, and she walked into her store. She was 80 years old, and she began talking politics immediately. I thought, well, this is kind of strange. And she had a Middle Eastern accent kind of thing, so I began to ask her where she was from and all that, and she said she was a Persian. Uh, she was from Iran and moved to this country in the 50s. She said, because the Muslims killed my aunt. They, they persecuted us. We had to leave. Okay, So it's not just from 700 A.D. It's the way it works. And the higher percentage of Muslims in a country, the more persecution grows. We're about 1% in this country, by the way. And I don't know what will happen with the clash between American ideals and Sharia law and all that. But there's a clash. They don't go together. And the history shows that as the Muslim population grows, at some point they began to demand... They rule themselves. They want Sharia law. They want to rule themselves. They want special uh, accommodations. They want Muslim food served, and they get to have Muslim workers to serve it. And and on. I'm just talking history, folks. I'm just talking what happens in countries where the Muslim population begins to grow, and it's growing here, uh, very 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 quickly. So. That's the history. That's what we see and we have seen for 1,400 years. So when I say there's a problem with Islam, that the founder is a problem, the book's a problem, the basic tenets are, and the followers show the fruit of all those problems, uh, what I concluded was that there's a problem in Islam. We're told that it's a religion of peace and tolerance, uh, that vast majority of good Muslims practice that and don't bother anybody else, but we look around the world and we see what happens. There's just too much of it to discount. I gave you this quote last week, but Chuck Colson commented after 9-11, he said that uh, the truth is that bin Laden and his followers did not hijack Islam, they simply took it seriously. Uh, And I believe that's a result of the problems Within Islam. All right. Now, what do we do about it? 
Uh, we understand a little bit better now, hopefully. Uh, what do we do? The people of uh, uh, the, the tribe of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Well, what should Christians do about this? And unfortunately, the answer I have is there's really not much we can do about it. I don't believe. Uh, I think, in fact, I forgot to put it on here, but I, uh, pray, I think, is the main thing we we ought to do. Uh, but I don't think there's really much we can do. Uh, as Americans, uh, I don't think we should be prejudiced against any race or religion. Well, as Christians, I don't think we should be prejudiced against any peoples, for that matter. But when we understand the nature of Islam, I think as American citizens, there is one thing we could do. Uh, I think we ought to be really vigilant about protecting our Constitution and our legal system. Uh, in Wichita, we don't see any of this yet, but there are parts of the country with a much larger Muslim population where they are already demanding that Sharia law be used and certain cases be settled under Islamic law instead of the law of the United States. Uh, we shouldn't let that happen. I'm afraid we will because we've, we're in this mindless tolerance nonsense and I, I don't think we're tough enough to put our foot down and say no this is the United States uh, but we ought to uh, but beyond that I don't think there's much we can do as Americans as Christians uh, even though there's a problem with a religion there's a problem with every religion except Christianity Jesus said he was the way Okay, so I'm not being overly uh, persecuting Muslims here. I'm just pointing out the fact that any man-made religion has a problem. And Islam has some special ones because of the warlike nature of its founder uh, and what's in the book. But all religions have a problem. Uh, all people in the world are sinners and they need Jesus Christ. Just like that was the answer to unity this morning, it's the answer uh, to this problem also. Now, it's easy to say that, but it's really hard to do anything about it. Worldwide, missions to Muslim areas are almost non-existent. It's really hard for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think number one, or one of the reasons, is the language. Uh, remember all the things we talked about the Koran that it, in Arabic it was right and in any other translation it was wrong and all that? Okay, I got to thinking, well, Arabic is really hard, you know. It's got to be hard. And so I, I Googled, I said, what's the hardest language? Guess what's the hardest language in the world? Arabic. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's almost impossible for anybody to learn and do well. In fact, the scholar, the Muslim scholars are here on TV. They don't agree. You know, so to get where you can converse about their book in their language is a very, very difficult thing. Uh, and I think another problem with worldwide missions to Muslim areas is the general perception of Christianity. Of course, the persecution is another thing. You're not allowed to to evangelize in a lot of countries. But we think about how we perhaps see Muslims. We think about how they see us. Uh, number one, they think we are 
infidels because we believe in many gods. Well, you say, well, we don't. Well, it appears that we do. You know, their mantra is that there is one God, Allah. And we say, well, yeah, we've got one God, but, well, then we get Jesus, and then we get the Holy Spirit, and then they're God, too. Well, to an outsider, that sounds like you got many gods. And then they watch American culture, and they see that some people worship Mary, and some people worship this and that, and pray to saints, and all that. we got many gods. So that's the perception that they have of it. Uh, the, speaking of culture... Uh, they think, for some reason, that we're immoral. Well, I don't. I've got Hollywood movies and TV shows and stuff over there, and somehow they've concluded <laughs> that we're an immoral bunch. Well, that's the message we send, and that is offensive. It's it's all and historically, uh, we I don't think we understand how they've been taught and how they've been raised to think about the Crusades. Christians slaughtered Muslims in their worldview. Okay? Uh, in my worldview, the Crusades were a response. I'm not saying they were a good response, but they were a response to Muslims trying to take over the world. Uh, somebody said, hold it. Well, we got to stop this. Uh, and did so with the Crusades. Uh, so with that mindset about who we are and what we've done in the past and all that, uh, reaching non-American Muslims is probably going to be pretty hard. Now, we're going to get more and more opportunity to talk to English-speaking Muslims because they're going to be more and more around here. Okay. So that's probably the main thing that we can do is, is focus on them in an evangelistic way. Uh, and I'm looking for a short way to give you some points. And I found a sermon on Sermon Central about this. Uh, so I just put down his main points. And he says to reach a Muslim with the gospel, said the number one thing you got to remember is your number one resource is the Bible. Okay. Don't argue all this history and all this other thing. Go to the Bible. They respect the Bible. They think it's been polluted. They think we've messed it up in translating it and all that. But they believe it's from God. It's the book. It's mentioned in the Koran. We're people of the book. So we got that in common with them. So go to the Bible. Secondly, uh, make sure that you love Muslims. And I already said we're not supposed to be prejudiced and all that, but we see what's happening and we have a, a different view perhaps. Uh, you can't have that. They are people who've been lured into a false religion. Uh, they matter to God. Number three, uh, go to Jesus. Okay. That's who we're supposed to go to on, on anybody, but they respect him as a great prophet. They have a, a leg up there on that anyway, so you can start and show them what Jesus said. Show them the differences between what he said and what Muhammad said. Now, Jesus is the truth. Now, he can stand up to any kind of investigation. So go ahead and talk about Jesus. And fourthly, and maybe this ought to be number one, because it's what would allow us to talk to them, is the way we live our life. This is true on all evangelism. Our life ought to draw people. 
Jesus said if he was lifted up, he'd draw people to him. If we lift him up in our life, uh, we'll draw people to us. And that's the number one reason that a lot of Muslims don't uh, uh, want to have anything to do with Christianity is because they've seen too many Christians. Uh, They've seen our lifestyle. And if you work with one or go to school with one or have a chance to talk with one, uh, your life ought to be something that they can see as something to respect uh, and get their attention and then use the Bible, use Jesus, and uh, we might have some some, uh, small effect in this uh, dealing with Muslims. All right, that's uh, the... Four lessons I had prepared on Islam, and I hope that helps you understand a little bit uh, the times that we live in. If you're here tonight and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we're going to sing a song let you do that. If you have any public need from this uh, congregation, let's come to the front while we stand and sing.